Hello and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast for two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about A Court of Frost and Starlight by Sarah J. Mass as part of our massive summer binge. This is the fourth book. It's actually a novella for the last one, which is A Court of Frost, or sorry, A Court of Silver Flames. Yes. These two are very similarly titled. Like it's confusing. Yeah. Before we get into the book, Corinne, what are you obsessing about this week? So I read a couple of great things this week, all of which I was really into. The first of which is a book called The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. If you're familiar with the book, The Kiss Quotient, that's probably her most famous and most popular book. Um, This is the third book in that universe after The Bride Test, which came out a couple of years ago. This book has been on my radar since I first read The Kiss Quotient and The Bride Test several years ago. It's been delayed several times, and I was super excited that Book of the Month, which I'm a member of, had it a few weeks early than its publication date, which I think is the end of August. Um, If you don't know, Helen Huang herself is autistic, and each of her books has a character who is autistic in it. And this one was, I think in some ways, maybe my favorite of the three. It was a big tonal shift from the first two, which are kind of rom-coms with some more serious subject matter to them. Uh, This one was way more serious across the board. It follows um, a character who, in addition to kind of struggling to figure out her own diagnosis and and what that means uh, as being um, autistic, she also has to deal with some familial trauma that happens. And it took a turn into being a way more heavier romance than I'm accustomed to, but it still had just a most swoon-worthy love story in it. The main uh, male character uh, we met in the first book, he's the cousin of the the hero from that book. And so it was really exciting to see him, someone who was kind of very fun-loving, a very um, kind of just funny side character, really step into his own and being like a great support for her. And they both had their own issues that they were going through. And like I said, it was much darker in a lot of ways than a lot of romances, but had um, just a really lovely ending. And I I cried and I swooned and I laughed. And it was just a really, I, I thought, a really good book. Um, it has one of the more like cartoon, like rom-com type covers on it. I think that's probably a little misleading and that's not the author's fault. That's like her publisher's choice. But um, if you are in the mood for um, just like a, a beautiful, more heart-wrenching love story, I definitely recommend amend it. Just if you have any issues with triggers, I would just, you know, look them up first before reading it. Um, But I thought it was just gorgeous and the best written book of the three and um, a really important story. So I loved that. I also was very excited to get an advanced copy of Bombshell by Sarah McLean. Sarah McLean is historical romance author. I've talked about my discovery of her books this year, thanks in large part to friend of the pod, Aubrey, who was on our first Actar episode here. Um, after Bridgerton, I wanted to dive into more historical romances and have plowed through all Sarah McLean's backlist. This is the first book in a new series by her. It is the story of two characters that we actually met four books ago and two series prior. Uh, So it's been a long wait, particularly if you're someone who's been reading as these have been published. It's just been a long wait for me, a couple of months since I read the book that they're introduced in. Um, So that is uh, just as great as I hoped that it would be. Sarah McLean has a real knack for writing funny, capable heroines 
very good steam um, and just very compelling books. And this one was no exception. I don't think you have to read any of the rest of her books, but these two characters, Cecily and Caleb, are introduced in The Day of the Duchess, and which is a beautiful second chance romance that made me cry. So if you're going to read it, I recommend taking a look at that one first uh, to get the full breadth of their history. Because of you, I have read two Sarah McLean books in the last week. So yeah, I, I fully endorse the Sarah McLean train. I make no apologies for that. Tasia has been <laughs> reading the Bare Knuckle Bastards series, which I also really love and really recommend. I only read that recently as well. And that is the series that comes between Day of the Duchess and then this new series, which is called the Hell's Bells series. <laughs> the Bare Knuckle Bastards series has the most ridiculous like plot connecting those three books, but like it's really good. <laughs> it's really something but yeah they're they're really fun and I've also put like the entire you know Sarah McLean's entire catalog in my library holds now so I'm in they're great they're just I inhale them too fast of a, a clip I'm trying to save a bombshell it's not going well um that's the great fine. thing about historicals I feel like they're just you know I think you you said one time that they were like delicious candy and that's essentially it they are. They're a great palate cleanser too. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, they're very they're great palate cleanser in between books. They're great to get my like reading mojo going again if it's if I'm in a bit of a slump. And uh we have just really big fans. I think Sarah McLean is amongst, if not the best out there right now, uh too. So uh those are the things I'm really into this week. <laughs> Tasia, what are you into? So I finally read Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's her newest book. You already talked about it on this podcast. I won't get really into it, but uh, she don't miss. So, you know, read it. Uh, I also read The Atlas Six, which is like really big on like book talk and stuff right now um, by Olivia Blake. And uh, I mean, if you're into Dark Academia, Friend of the Pod, Jenna, I think texted you and said that it was very Ninth House meets The Magicians. And honestly, I can't think of a more perfect comparison. Yeah. It's great. You know, if you've ever wanted to read a book where, I mean, for me, when I read books, I tend to be like, I want everybody to kiss. Like, I'm not too, like, really, really strict about my shipping where I'm like, oh, this Mm -hmm. person for this person only. And that's it. I'm like, everybody should make out. Everybody should make out all the time. That's basically canon in this book. Like everybody wants to make out with everybody. It's great. It's very sexy. It's too much for my my poor little bisexual heart. <laughs> <laughs> I also read that this week and it was it was really good. I liked a lot. All the relationship dynamics are exactly what you said. It's like I want everyone to kiss so badly, and a lot of them do. And I've never had like so many moments where I'm like, oh, I want these two to be together. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, now I want this person and this. And like everything changed. And there's going to be a sequel that comes out, I think, later this year or next year. And I think next year, um, because she's writing books two and three at the same time. Oh, great. So which which makes me think like, I are they parallel to each other? I don't know. I have yeah. no idea what's going to happen in the next two books. But yeah, but I'll 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 go wherever she takes me. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, I really enjoyed it a lot. There was a lot of like sciencey type things that were going on. Yeah. A lot of like rules of physics and like time, and I kind of glossed over some of that stuff and. Uh, uh, hopefully it's not totally important going forward because yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I don't know about this science stuff. You know what else it kind of reminded me of? A book that a lot of people love I did not like, um, which is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which is also like dark academia. Secret Society, Dark Academia. Everyone is like 
has weird ancestral relationships with each other. This is not, eh, that's probably nearly as dark, but like, I just found it way more compelling than that books. But if you liked it, I got, I got similar vibes as to that too. Yeah. So book talk was right on this one as book talk often is. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's great for her. Again, as you said, someone who self-published her book, uh, this is, this is great for her. And she's also like a, a big, a big fanfic writer. Like she, yes. I think in specifically the Harry Potter fandom, um, very prolific, very well-known fanfic writer. And, uh, you know, good for her. She's getting that paycheck. She very, very much deserves because she's far too talented of a writer to to keep doing it for free. Yes. The writing is is really top-notch. Yeah. Olivia Blake or Olivia Blake is her AO3 pseudonym. Mm-hmm. actually and so i think she is going to be publishing a ya book in the next couple of months or within the next year that's actually her under her real name so she has yeah it's her first traditionally published one yeah so good for her and it's called my mechanical romance that's a great name how great is that yeah so i'm really excited to read more of her stuff uh, and yeah that, that was a really fun a fun read for sure and we also read this <laughs> Right oh, yeah. Frost and Starlight. <laughs> Readers, we'll, we'll be up front with you uh, before we dive into this episode today. I don't particularly care for this book, Tasia. Uh, it's a big old dumpster fire. Yeah, I don't like this much at all. And I think that that's pretty common amongst people in this fandom. No one's ever like, this is my favorite of the books. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, I think we talked about it talked about this a little bit on our previous episodes this is a novella that was very clearly meant to wind down the story of the main Akatar trilogy and set up for some spin-off books the first of which is the last book we'll be covering a court of silver flames and it does a good job of setting things up we'll talk about some of that but then some of the other stuff that happens here we're just really not big fans of so we're going to be honest here today we won't hold back not that we ever hold back but it's i think probably rare that we cover a book on this podcast that we dislike as much as this one mm-hmm. we obviously we love these characters and love this world and i think that's what makes it extra frustrating here right yeah so anyway they did us dirty yeah, Sarah, it like really kind of feels like a money play <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. which it is, but it's just like, it's for someone who does such great storytelling in other books and great character arcs in other, book, other books and great character moments in, every, in other books, this one's just really disappointing. It really just feels like she's like retconning, like this yeah. is her setup to like retcon a bunch of character shit to make the next book make sense. Yeah. And that is really frustrating. Yeah. And so because of that, it doesn't really have a huge like central plot, but I have a quick book summary for us here anyway, which I try to just kind of touch on the important plot things here. So I'll read that and then we'll dive in. It is winter in the night court and everyone is preparing for the upcoming winter solstice. Reese and Cassian deal with a dispute in the Illyrian camps concerning allowing women in the camps to train. Unrest is also spreading throughout the camps as the Illyrians are bitter about how many of them died during the fight against Tyburn. Reese travels to the spring court after learning how Tamlin isn't protecting his borders. The court is completely abandoned and Tamlin tells him that he cannot defend his borders because his army left after Feyre turned them all against him. Reese gets angry with Tamlin and tells him he deserves everything that has happened to him. 
Reese later returns with summer court forces to protect the Supreme Court border and provides Tamlin with food to eat. Nesta does not want to join in any of the solstice festivities, which upsets both Farah and Elaine. Farah tries to get Nesta to attend, but Nesta will only agree if Farah agrees to continue to pay her rent in a slum on the other side of Valeris. The winter solstice arrives, Lucian comes, and Elaine is distant with him, but gives a personal gift to Azrael. Nesta comes to Solstice, and Cassian insists on walking her home. They argue on the way, and Nesta snaps at Cassian, who tosses the Solstice gift he found for her into the river. Once Cassian leaves, Nesta lights a fire, remembering the snap of her father's neck as the fire cracks beside her. Moore continues to struggle with what her father and heiress did to her, but ultimately decides to set off on her own adventure. After struggling the whole book with how to move on after the war, Feyre decides to open an art studio where she teaches painting to children. She also decides that given all the loss they experience, she doesn't want to wait to start a family with Reese. So in a lot of ways, this book feels like, and is often compared to fan fiction. And that's not not a fair comparison. It does feel like a post-canon story Mm -hmm. that you would read on AO3. But when people use fanfic to describe this book they're using that i think a lot of times in the derogatory way in which fanfic is often perceived to be not very good which we know and we've talked a lot on this podcast is not at all the case but this this is not very good i don't think (laughs) and just in the the way that there are, are books that are good and books that are bad and fanfic that is good and fanfic that is bad this is um, it, kind of like an example of, of bad fanfic. And so I don't think that that's an unfair comparison because it's just, it's not that it doesn't have a c- central cohesive plot. That's not my issue with it. My issue is what some of these characters do in this book, particularly <sighs> our number one boy who we love so much through three books, three sand. It's very frustrating. It's really wild to like come off of, a court of wings and ruin and just, you know, loving Rhysand and Feyre so much. And then reading this and being like, what the fuck happened to you? Yeah. Like the, the switch is so jarring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even that like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like some, and this is more of an issue, I guess, in a court of silver flames, you know, Sarah has talked about like how fun it is to write other people's POV and h- how they think of Resand. And he's not perfect and not necessarily expecting him to be perfect. But my issue is more like the things that come out of his mouth, <laughs> his own, his own POV. <laughs> yes. His own POV. So, I mean, I guess on a surface level and your mileage may vary on this listeners, I personally don't care for Reese's like horn dog mentality in this book. Like, so that's, I mean, the lesser of my issues, as I talked about in previous episodes, some of her, her way of writing like sexy times just does not work for me. And so being in his mind when he's thinking about it doesn't work for me. And um, so that's, I guess, more of a surface complaint. I don't know if you felt similarly about it. Yeah, none of the sexy time stuff really worked for me in this book. <laughs> and and just the way that Reese is obsessed with it. Like that's all yeah. I think one child that they have sex and then the next chapter begins from his POV and he's just like, the sex completely destroyed me. And that's like all he's thinking about. And it's like, I okay, you're 500 years old, you know? Yeah. Like, I I don't know. And I know on the one hand, we're we're prepped by Sarah to to know that because of what it's like for these characters after the mating bond snaps into place and they like finally 
consummate it, but it's still, it's not just that he's like constantly thinking about it. It's just like the way he thinks about it too. It's like, I don't care for reading. Yeah. Very much. Less is more when it comes to Reese and Ferris sexy times for me. When they do it in the sky. It's <laughs> my notes just say it's so cringe. Um, <laughs> it is. I I just kept thinking about the poor citizens of Valerius. I know that he puts like a a cloaking shield over them or whatever, so people can't see them fucking right above their heads. Yeah. But like body fluids, y'all. Like, no. uh, are it, does everybody in Valerius carry around an umbrella? I hope so. It's fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Also, the mind <laughs> sex at the end. Mm-mm, I don't care. Okay, so I have a real, I have a real issue with uh, Reese reaching his climax when Farah sends him an image of their son or of the bone carver as their son. It's fucking weird. Yeah. It's it's a big yikes from me. Yeah. Um, it's just really funny like i love their love story so much and there's there are really nice moments of like love and connection between them here Mm -hmm. which i still like and i've noted in swoon their love story will forever be to me one of the most beautiful love stories i've ever read however i don't like this other this other element of it all which really does not work for me at all and i guess i just never needed to enter resan's pov ultimately is is yeah. where i'm left with this book it's kind of taking the shine off right it does a little bit yeah and i talked about this um, i guess it might have been in our spoiler section uh the last episode so i won't go into spoiler thoughts but i basically said how i have had to do some like my own mental shield work like Feyre when it comes to resand in this book in silver flames because it's just like what are you doing sarah to stop writing him let me like love him like want to love him um yeah. and it and it's not just the the sexy time bits which like again i could probably skate past even if it just like made me even if it does make me cringe i could probably just brush past it mm-hmm. but it's some of this other stuff here yeah it's definitely- the first section of my notes is entitled the hypocrisy of resand <laughs> Yeah. So I guess like let's dive into it because that is ultimately like my biggest thing here is how he treats everyone in this book and the hypocritical way it, it boils down to when it comes to Nesta versus Lucian and even Tamlin in this book. Don't care for it. Yeah, no. Um, and I, I also really don't like that he he claims that he can't ever forgive Nesta for the way that she let her little sister go off into the woods, but Elaine did too. And Faye even brings it up. Like, you know, you're not going to blame Elaine. And he's just like, no, <laughs> like, but, but for why, for why Reese, where is the logic in that? Let's, there- let's read that quote section because it is, uh, it, I think we just need to read it. Cause it doesn't make sense. They're talking first about Tamlin here in this conversation. Like he's, he's talking about how he can, let go of the taunts that Lucian makes in him and let go of the fact that he still wants to like reunite and be friends with Tamlin again. I can't let go of how he treated him under the mountain. And Ferris says, I can, I've forgiven him for that. And then Reese goes, well, you'll forgive me if I can't. And then she switches gears here. Icy rage darken the stars and those violent eyes. You can still barely talk to Nesta, I said. Yet Elaine, you can talk to nicely. Elaine is Elaine. If you blame one, you have to blame the other. No, I don't. Elaine is Elaine, he repeated. Nesta is... She's Illyrian. I mean that as a compliment, but she's an Illyrian at heart. So there is no excuse for her behavior. She more than made up for it this summer, Reese. I cannot forgive anyone who made you suffer. So like, let's just break this down here. 
Nesta is Illyrian? What does that mean? It makes, because, okay, so he says, I mean that as a compliment, and then goes on to be like, that's no excuse for her behavior. Well, what does it mean? What, like, honestly, literally, Sarah, what the fuck does that mean? Please unpack that for me because I don't fuck. I, I have no idea what this means. I try, I sat and I tried to logic it out for hours. For hours, I sat here with that quote being like, she's Illyrian, so that's no excuse for her behavior. What the, honestly, I, I could not figure it out. I could not unravel this thought process from him. I don't fucking get it. Also, just his his being like, well, Elaine's Elaine. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. Um, I have a I have a theory about this, which is not very kind to Resand at all, but um I think he likes Elaine because she defers to him because she's she's quiet and subservient. She doesn't challenge him in any way. Um, it seems to me like Resand has two settings when it comes to women in his life, and it's either I want to fuck you or I'm your boss, and you respect that. Yeah. He let Feyre get away with treating him like shit several different times um, and giving him shit several different times, but it's okay because he wants to fuck Feyre, right? And it's kind of like, oh, he he has compassion for Tamlin because Tamlin wants to fuck Feyre and he gets it. Like, but he doesn't have compassion for Nesta because A, he doesn't want to fuck her and B, she's not subservient to him in any way. So yeah. I- <laughs> I have in my notes here, I wrote, like, maybe if Nesta confessed to wanting to fuck her sister, you'd have some compassion for her, too. But, like, and I'm I'm being mean here. I really yeah. am. But, because uh, I'm mad. Yeah. It's it's very, it's very frustrating. It's frustrating to read a character like that at any point. I would mm-hmm. not like this person if I encountered them in real life. It is a smack in the face to have fallen in love with Reese along with Farah for three books and then have him pull this shit. It's very, very very upsetting to see yeah. these things come out of a beloved character's mouth. You know, it's the hypocrisy in the way he treats Elaine versus Nesta. And then the Nesta versus Lucian stuff really bothers me. Cause he says in that conversation, like, I can't forgive Lucian for how he treated you under the mountain. But then later when he goes to the spring court and like, sees how damaged it still is. And he never like fixed it after Tamlin like blew up so much in Aquar. He thinks about how he can't forgive Tamlin for like locking Farrah in the house and like, all this shit. And then he thinks Lucian had let him do it too, but I'd made my peace with him or tried to. How about you try to make your peace with your sister-in-law, Reese? Yeah. Huh? Huh? And I think you have this in your notes too, but it's true. Like Lucian provides a political ally that he needs. And so does Tamlin. And so therefore he will try to uh, forgive them and work with them. Yeah. But Nesta has the audacity of being somebody he doesn't want to screw and also somebody that doesn't have a real use for, for him anymore. Yeah. And, and like the money stuff, you know, um, mm. I mean, he's, he's, first of all, he's completely ignoring the fact that Nesta helped them win this war. Yeah. Nesta put herself out there. Nesta killed Highburn. Like Elaine stuck the dagger through his throat, but she took his head. Nesta saved your best friend's life, Reese. Yeah. And then was willing to sacrifice herself for him, like through her, used her body as a shield. And he's, he's got no respect for her. Like, excuse the fuck out of you, dude. Like, no. And then he says, oh, nobody has to give Nesta presents for, um, for solstice because, and I quote, I'd think bankrolling her apartment and drinking was gift enough. Um, don't you think she deserves some sort of like stipend for everything she's done during the war? First of all, she's living in a slum fucking apartment. So you can't tell me that her rent is like 
extravagant. Second yeah. of all, she's probably getting most of her drinks bought for her. Let's be fucking real about that. Um, third of all, at the end of this book, he buys favor a fucking estate on the river. And it's just like, la, 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 like, like, like it's nothing. But he's going to sit in penny pinch when it comes to his sister-in-law. And so is Farah for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a real, a real tough look. We'll talk more about the money stuff in a minute when it comes to mm-hmm. Farah, cause it bothers me there too, but yeah, it just, it's really hard. And, you know, we've talked a lot about Nesta on this podcast and like going through and trying to figure out why it is the fandom hates her so much. And we've talked in all of our previous episodes about how we just don't see it. It's just not there for us. I mean, the evidence mm-hmm. is not there. And I think where it comes, what it comes down to is this fandom loves Reese so, so much. And I alluded to this a little bit in our last episode, that they're going to take whatever he says is gospel. Mm-hmm. And he is here just talking up a storm about what a piece of shit Nasta is and how she doesn't deserve any of this stuff. And so that is what makes me really mad too. You know, I've never been, I was never a part of this fandom um, before this book came out. I've only read it since you know this book has been published. So I've never I've never seen anything different and I don't know I can't go back in time and see what the uh fan reaction was to Nesta before this point. I don't know. It was it always like this? I I, I don't know because I feel like he just really digs his heels in here and it, it's it's just very very frustrating and it makes me really upset. And I just I don't need my fictional characters to be perfect at all. What I what I liked though about some of those moments of imperfection in the last book, for instance, where um Reese says something like, I don't think Valeris is ready for Nasta Archeron, and Feyre like bites his head off for it. I I I, I like that. And it's okay, it's okay that he is upset at how people have treated Feyre. That's fine. But he takes it way too far in this book, and he takes it way too far after she's done all of those things. And when it's very, very clear that she is struggling, which we'll we'll talk about uh, in a little bit too. So I, I really hate all of that. I also just want to talk about the Tamlin stuff too, because one of the reasons I really hate this book is it puts me in a position where I feel as though I am mad at Reese for being a bully and I, it makes Tamlin a victim. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to see either of those things here. I don't want to see Reese be a bully and I don't want to see Tamlin as a victim because we talked a lot about Tamlin and how he still can deserve some empathy here, but I don't need to see Reese go in and be like my mate, like throwing all that shit in his face, kicking him when he's down. Yeah. And, and like I don't Richard need says. to feel like even more sad. I don't need to feel like feelings of sadness about how, what state Tamlin's in. I agree with Reese that he deserves everything he's got to him. Mm-hmm. I, I do appreciate that at least when it comes to Tamlin, we have a moment where like Reese is like, I should have been the bigger male. I should have handled this differently. Uh, where's that grace for Nesta? Um, but I just, I don't, I don't like any, I don't need more Tamlin. I'm done with Tamlin. <laughs> yeah. I just don't like it. One of my biggest issues about Reese here is is because you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with Reese having a hard time getting along with Nesta. They're clashing personalities. They're both very strong personalities. And if it were just that, if they just didn't like each other, then I could I could live with that. But it's the fact that it's framed as Reese being right. Yeah. As him having the moral high ground here and not getting any pushback. And like you said, uh, framing it as as if his word is gospel here when it's so clear how much she is, is suffering. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a very fun. I'm stealing this thought from you, which you told me off air about like, this could be a really fun dynamic mm-hmm. between them, like bickering in-laws 
Very sitcom-y, like, yeah. Yeah, and, like, instead, it's just, like, steeped in misogyny and disgustingness Mm -hmm. in a way that is just very unappealing for me. So, you know, (laughs) this is the number one reason why, like, you know, I always post pictures of these books on social media, and I I take pictures of them, and Paige is like, oh, why don't you have a um, Cross and Starlight one? I was like, I refuse to buy this book. I, like, refuse. I keep getting from the library. I don't want it. I don't want it on my shelf. Like, I just don't like it. And that's the main reason why, because it just makes me have to see particularly Rhysand in a light that I don't want to see him. Because he's the best. I mean, two episodes ago, we were just like crying, literally crying over crying him. Crying over Rhysand, crying over him. So it's it's very frustrating. And I think it's also very frustrating to look at Feyre mm-hmm. in this book, because, you know, I talked all along about how Feyre is still not one of my favorite uh, heroines ever in fantasy. And she's still not um at the end of the the books but i really do appreciate her journey love everything she goes through love everything she goes through with reese i have a real hard time with her pov in this book too i think there's a real regression here um first of all in her not really standing up for nesta i think because she she says like oh you can't put all the blame on nesta and and not elaine not any on elaine um but that's not really the point like she's right but that's also not the point because it is not Reese's job to forgive Nesta because there's nothing to forgive. Um, and Farah doesn't feel that way about Nesta. So Reese shouldn't either because his issue is with Nesta's treatment of Farah. Um, Farah should have led with that. And also, like, this is my fucking family and that's none of your business, maybe. You yeah. know? Also, like, her regression to, like, that we talked about a lot in uh, the first episode of the Summer Binge. Farah's a kind of martyr complex. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so much like self-flagellating happening here. She is just boohoo, poor me. I'm so rich. And I just, I I need to, I just can't give my money away fast enough. I can't volunteer my hours fast. Like she's doing a lot and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But the way that she still sits there and is crying about it for herself, like just feeling bad about having too much money, it's, it's, weird it's i don't like it it's kind of gross yeah, there's something about how all the money stuff in this book is written and it's very tone deaf mm-hmm. um i don't know much about sarah jane mass's background but it at this point when she published this book she's been fairly successful and she is very very successful and so it just kind of like seems to me like someone who's like never actually struggled which Farah has yeah. Farah has clearly struggled but it seems like someone who has never struggled <laughs> writing what it is like to um have money then and like how you that's exactly it. what it, just, it feels like yeah it just it feels mm, yeah i don't like, like it. i can't i can't spend money on i can't do anything that makes me happy because there's people suffering in the world and and i need to help them and and why can't i do more meanwhile everybody that she's trying to help is like dude go home <laughs> like right please do something else because I don't know, walking around with your your poor rich person guilt is not helping anybody. Yeah. It's it's totally, totally valid for Feyre to feel guilty about all that she has and how lucky she was after the war. I think that's how I would like it to be framed instead. It's just mm-hmm. how like feeling guilt at the loss that other people felt and she gets to have her mate and she all of her family survived intact. That I feel like would just be more compelling to mm-hmm. me versus survivor like guilt. money. Yeah. Being like the main thing. It just feels weird. It's a weird tone. Yeah. And especially with like the Nesta stuff, because she's sitting there being like, I can't even grasp the enormity of our wealth. Like she literally thinks that Um, it, there's so much wealth. They couldn't spend it in 
even their lifetimes, their thousands of years lifetimes. And then being like, Nesta, you're only getting your rent money from me if you come to my party. Yeah. Shit like that. Like, yeah, I don't, I have issues with that whole scene where she goes to Nesta too. And she's like, which one was the winner you're going to take home tonight? It's like, stop slut shaming your sister, Farrah. Like, I gave you a lot of props in the first book for like having a fuck buddy. Great way for you to blow off the steam. Um, How about you give your sister the same grace? Like, yeah, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. So yeah, I don't, I don't like a lot of this stuff here. Although props to Elaine for being the one who's finally like, these are tradi- their traditions. This is how everyone moves on. Buy your friends some solstice gifts and like move on, sister. I, I'm yeah. like, yeah, Elaine, like you, you are laying it out here in the correct, in the correct way. Yeah. It's just, mm, I don't need it. And then this is a personal thing, which I know most people probably don't feel this way about it. I don't, love and I don't look for in my stories the idea that happy ever after means you have a huge family of children Mm -hmm. you know and I say that as someone who wants to have kids someday I love kids I but I'm also someone who's been married for five years and has been waiting because I want to have a little bit of my own life too Mm -hmm. so I'm coming at it at that point and so the focus then on and at the end of this book about like, okay, yeah, fair is 20 years old, but like, I'm just, we're just going to dive into this, even though we have eternity ahead of us. It just like, isn't, a, it's just not super appealing to me. I just don't need that story. Um, Reese is like 500 and something years old. Farrah is 21 and she has had her entire life of, of scraping to survive and all this trauma just came off of a war very rightly at the end of aqua war you know she's like i want some time with my mate and i want to do fun mate things and have him to myself for a while and and travel and do whatever and then in the very you know a couple months later at 21 years old she just turned 21 is like okay yeah i i don't want to wait anymore there's no point in waiting i want to do this now you're 21 my dude and you're immortal yeah. It's it's funny at the beginning though, like Reese is like, oh my, you know, she's 20, she's 21. I can't believe she's saddled with me. And those are Reese moments I like in this book though. Mm-hmm. His continued self-doubt is always something that's very pe- appealing about him to me. Um, and the fact that he like doesn't think he deserves all this and Cassian is so great in that scene. He's just like, he, she's different than like your mom who's 18 and marrying something. But then I was like looking at some websites for summaries to like put, uh, put together for the top here and one of them was very detailed and was like, Reese worries that he's too old for Farron. And parentheses is like, yeah, you kind of are. <laughs> Which is always one of the critiques of these books, right? Is with like 500-year-old men and like teenagers. But yeah, I mean, I, I I totally get it, right? You know, like baby boom. Like that was a thing. Mm-hmm. That was a very real population surge driven by feelings. The of- end of a war. Let's embrace life after a war. Exactly. So I get all of that, but it's just, it's not, again, it's not compelling storytelling to me. I totally get how it can be for other people, but I, I don't need that from this story. I could have, I could have waited a little bit, you know, cause she is continuing to write this series, right? I could have waited mm-hmm. yeah, a few more books yeah, yeah, and have, have the, the pregnancy thing be at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, no, no shame to people who like find that enjoyable but for me it's just another thing that I just like don't like about this. <laughs> yeah and and to be clear I'm saying this as somebody who had a kid at 21 so yeah. like I yeah. am not innocent of these things but you know I'm 36 now and I'm like eh 21 right. yeah so yeah that, I mean that's a very interesting uh 
vantage point too, for sure. And yeah, so, I mean, we all come into these things with our own life experiences that mm-hmm. impact them. And that's just where we are with this. More for your thoughts? I just, and, uh, this is kind of another sex thing, but I did want... Farah intentionally giving Reese a boner while he's naked with his friends. Um, I can't decide. I can't decide <laughs> if this is like massively disrespectful to Cassian and Azrael because like they didn't sign up to see Reese's boner, right? Yeah. Um, I can't decide if it's massively disrespectful or just re- like really funny because it's kind of like a <laughs> fuck you, Reese, and I'm already mad at him. There are like weird like levels of comfort between the three of those guys. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about more of that when it comes up in Silver Flames. But like, I don't know, they see too much of each other, I guess is my point. So it doesn't like bother me too much. But yeah, they're all like very weird. I did like that one point when they're like speaking mind to mind. I think it's right before that scene. Like Fair basically thinks about something like a threesome and Reese is like, yes. She says something like, oh, I thought you guys were, you know, territorial male bastards or whatever. And he's like, I'm interested in anything you're interested in, Farrah. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> you can see the face I made, but I was like, my I'm very interested. Ears very, point. very much perked up. Um, yes. Yes. I would also be interested in this. Yeah. 100%. So, I mean, I ultimately do love what Farrah does in this book, though. Like, giving back, I think the painting classes for the kids is a great way to give back and like feel like she's doing something more. So I, I like the conclusion of all of that. I just don't like how we like end up getting there and mm-hmm. her kind of how she ended up to that point. So I think it, it, that's a nice end. Although I think maybe my whole perception of this is colored by the fact that again, I'm still not convinced she's good at painting. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. as we <laughs> talked about. so I'm just like, it's okay. She's teaching kids. A lot of self-flagellation for someone who is maybe not actually good at it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and just her giving Reese, like, the painting of the of what she saw in the Ouroboros, like, I can't even imagine what that looks like. <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, especially if you think about how she's not a good painter. I do actually like that moment, though, because doesn't she think in Echoir about how, like, she would never tell anyone that, not even Reese? Mm-hmm. And so that she paints that and gives that to him, that's very big for her. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think it's just like the idea too, that she just like keeps giving people paintings and expecting them to like them. <laughs> it's just like very funny to me. Like, and it's asking a lot. I don't know. I'm not a crafty person. So I've never like someone who's made something and been like, here, take this thing from me. It's sort of, sort of like a really narcissistic gift. Yeah. It's, it's very weird <laughs> I don't know. It's just something about it is is weird. I also like Cassian peeking over Reese's shoulder to look at the painting, and he's just like, yikes. <laughs> Cassian, my best boy. Well, let's talk about Cassian and Esther then in this book. Um, first of all, great stuff from Cassian here. We Who's the true feminist of the series? I say it's Cassian. It's fucking Cassian. Yes. I could not love him more. You know, training these women, giving them the resources and confidence to fight back, to look beyond their campfires. It was for her. That's his mother. Um, who died Mm -hmm. for the mother buried here, perhaps nowhere. So it might never happen again. So those people whom he still loved, despite their faults might one day become something more, something better. And it's just like props to you, Cassian love you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great. Uh, Even though, again, it does really hurt to like be in his POV and have him be pining over Nesta. But what I love about Cassian is that he just really understands what the hell Nesta is going through here. 
in a way that just, it makes my, my heart hurt. I mean, he just, he gets it. He thinks he understood. He really did. It had taken him months, years after his first battles to readjust to cope. Hell, he was still reeling from what happened in that final battle with Highburn too. And I think, you know, that quote kind of illustrates why tonight I don't want to keep harping on the Reese stuff, but it's like, they all have gone through so much shit. And it's like, where is the compassion and the understanding for what someone might be struggling with? And it's so clear mm-hmm. that she's struggling. So props to Amron in this book for being one who gets it and says, you know, um, give her time, give her space, give her the chance to sort through this on her own. I also really like Amron refusing to talk about Nesta behind her back, even to mm-hmm. her sister. That yeah, was, that was good stuff. Yeah. And Amron just being like, I like her because if you do, I like her because she's not easy to be around or to understand. So people are getting messed up. She's not like a worthless person. Um, so I, yeah, I, I it's just it's really hard for me to pe- for people to like look at this book and not walk away from it feeling just very sad for Nesta. Mm-hmm. You know, the slut shaming stuff too just makes me really mad. And that's something that comes up a lot in the fandom too, is you know, it is, of course, it's very hard as someone who wants her and Cassian to be together to talk, think about how she's like sleeping with all these other guys. And it's hard for him to think about at the same time too, you know, when I read people giving her shit for that, I'm like, wow, what's it like to um, never have made questionable sexual decisions when yeah. you're in a bad place mentally? It must be, must be nice. Like, exactly. <laughs> like who, I, what privilege. Yeah. Yeah. When people talk that kind of shit about Nesta, I'm just like, you wouldn't like me. Yeah. Like, Perry, you wouldn't like me because I've done that and worse in yeah. my past. I have been the Nesta. I have been on on all kinds of different levels. So I don't know. I think yeah. that's why I, I feel very personally connected with Nesta too. So it feels kind of personal when people are like, yeah, fuck her. She's terrible. And I'm like, well, fuck me then because I'm terrible too. Yeah. And it does go back to, too, like comparing, we talked about before, like pretty trauma responses and mm-hmm. in ugly trauma responses. You know, Elaine is very traumatized here. And what does she keep doing? Gardening, baking bread. Like, yeah. you know, the, her worst thing that she's doing is avoiding her mate. But then it's like, okay, well, she, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, too. I think that she's avoiding dealing with that. And that's part of why she's drawn to Azriel is that he's this other alternative for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, that's much prettier. It's, it's sweeter. It's swoonier. Um, and it's all very valid. And she's definitely dealing with shit here too. And I like the exploration of all that, but like they both need to be assessed for what is truly going on behind the scenes, which is both really dealing with the trauma of the battle, the trauma of losing their father, the trauma of be- still of being made fay against their will. Um, they're mm-hmm. both are dealing with that. But yeah, the the Nessian stuff in this book is just the pining hurts me. She's even thinking about it too. I mean, she sense she knows that he's like flying around mm-hmm. outside her apartment, and it's hard. Yeah, I definitely sense pining on her part too. Yeah, which I th- I think she just doesn't get credit for. Yeah, it's hard when they both walk into the room. They're both like avoiding each other at solstice, mm-hmm. and it makes me really sad. And finally, he can't take anywhere, and he goes after her. Like it hurts. It does hurt. It's uh, that doesn't mean what she's experiencing and feeling and doing is invalid, though. Yeah. Um, I don't want either of them to be hurt. And that's the thing. It kind of goes back to like the Feyre and Nesta stuff. Uh, Cassian isn't really offended in that sense that Nesta is doing. Like he understands where she's coming yeah. from, and he's yeah. not going after her with expectations he's just trying because he can't not try yeah it's it, it hurts real good 
It does. I mean, it's a great setup for the next book. Uh, one of the things, because this book came out when in like 2018, maybe. And so then it was along like three year wait before the next book that we're going to talk about, A Court of Silver Flames, which is the Cassian and Nesta book. Uh, so there's a lot of time uh, in between where people are like, well, what was the solstice gift that he threw into the river? Uh, Sarah had, this is not a spoiler, Sarah had said before Silver Flames came out that you will find out the answer in Silver Flames and you do. So, you know, it's just, it's their journey's not over. It's only just begun. You guys, I wish you could see the little smile that Corinne got on her face when she even mentioned Silver Flames um, and it being the Cassian and Nesta book. It's, I love that book so much. I can't wait to talk about it. So in terms of setup for this book, we'll talk a little more in spoilers about it, but or for that book, uh, this is this book does its job well. And I guess then we can also talk about what else it might be setting up, particularly when it comes to the more heiress mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I, again, I said this before about how like once on Tumblr, I saw a post that said, Sarah said years ago that she planned a more book, illusion book and Cassie and Anesta book. And we obviously have that now. Um, she's definitely setting up something for more here. What exactly? I'm not sure. You know, we have more getting this offer from Reese to uh, go and try to like recruit some other people to their causes. And she also has this like hidden estate where she rides her horse at the end. She's got like things going on. I don't know. I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah. The, the heiress stuff in particular has me very intrigued because she, she recounts this, this memory in her mind of, of when her family dumped her in the autumn court for heiress, um, you know, with the stuff nailed into her stomach. Yeah. And, um, and she thinks like that whole moment that heiress had come up and, and he had like centuries with him and he was like, don't touch her. You know, if you touch her, then that's us claiming her basically. And he's like, and I'm not going to claim her. And he even looks at more in that moment. And he goes, you don't want to be stuck here. Right. And she's like, no. And he's like, so I, I, there's a big part of me that thinks that that, him refusing to touch her, to let them touch her, to claim her was as much for her benefit as it was for his. I also feel like, um, you know, he's not allowing anybody to help her, but he walks away and then Azrael comes. And I feel like there's got to, like, we're going to find out at some point, I feel like that he sent a message in some way that he could, like in, in a way that wouldn't come back to him because he couldn't be linked to that. Yeah. Sent somebody a message to to come get her. Yeah. I'm definitely waiting for the day when we get a reveal, not unlike the chapter 54 and Akamath reveal about everything Reese did and how we get the flip side of it and what it really yeah. meant. And I, I think that that is coming. I'm just really interested to see how that's all going to shake out though, because, you know, we talked about the representation issues that we have with Moore's whole coming out storyline in our Akor episode. And she doesn't want to be with Eris. And I think for, even if she had not come out in that way, it would, I feel, I feel weird for her to end up with Eris, but what, what is going to be the payoff of that? And how is it going to all work out? I don't know, but I'm very intrigued to find out. That's a very good point. So more, that's very clearly being set up there. Again, I don't know what it's going to be. Let's talk about Lucian a little bit. And then the triangle that is, Elaine, Lucian, and Azrael, because we've talked before about how this is something that is very divisive currently in the fandom. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it's unresolved still. 
where we are at in the books, especially because the whole next book is Ness and Cassie. And so we're not going, you know, mm-hmm. going to have answers to this, although there is more that comes up in that book and we'll save some thoughts for the spoiler section. But I think there's just a lot here to like dive into on the page here. Um, and it's, it's very not clear what's going to go on here. And it's almost, it's not even like a triangle is not accurate because it's almost like a pentagon, I feel at this point, because <laughs> I just like loop more into, it's not a pentagon, it's a qu- quadrangle, right? Is that a word? Sure. Quadrangle. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I hated geometry. I'm not going to. Don't ask me. I don't know. related questions. I don't know. Okay. So we have like, we have Elaine and Nazareth moments. We have Elaine and Lucian moments. We have as and more moments two here that we need to piece mm-hmm. through you know people depending on their ship preferences like to cherry pick specific things and what they look at and use that as evidence of where this geometry shape thing is going <laughs> <laughs> i just want to like lay out the specific facts here so we knew that as gave elaine truth teller mm-hmm. his his knife in Equar, but then we learned that she immediately gave it back, walked away without saying anything more to him. But we do have moments where, like, he comes to her, her throat bobs, like, he very much likes getting that gift from her. So there's definitely, like, something there. I did write Elaine's throat bobbing is as comes in, I mean, same girl. <laughs> right. And as, like, is saying things too, like, I don't make a point of looking after Lucian's movements. He's Elaine's mate. It would be an invasion of privacy to track him. And Reese goes, are you sure about that? So like that and when has Az ever cared about that? Right. Exactly. Literally spy master. Right. So that's all very interesting. But then we can't discount the fact about how Az's face lights up when more comes in. And Feyre has to look away at the heat and yearning that fills Az's eyes. And he looks at more. So it's like he's clearly not over that situation. But then we also get from Elaine when she's talking about Lucian and Kara's like, can't you just be nice to him? And he's, she's like, well, he gives me a gift. Like, does that mean I'm in, he's entitled to my affections? Which, like, good for her. I mean, I, I get yeah. her perspective on things. That's but, a fair point. You know, I just think she's struggling with a lot and avoiding Lucian is a big part of that. She says, I don't want a mate. I don't want a male. Like, she clearly is still upset about Grayson. So, you know, yeah, she is definitely not interested in Lucian at this point. And I, yeah, she's definitely interested in as. I just don't know how it's going to shake out. It, to me, it very much feels almost like um, a rebellion thing, you know, like she yeah. knows that mates are, are, are a big deal. And she's just, I think she's giving the finger to this whole destiny shit. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go do this other thing, or I'm going to be interested in this other person. Yeah. And plus yeah. like, like was mentioned before, uh, Feyre thought before um, Elaine and Azriel or before Elaine even moved to Valeris, that that Elaine would be drawn to Azriel because he's quiet and you know she could just be at peace with him. So I think it's yeah. a lot of those things that are drawing her to him right now. Yeah. I will say, you know, I said early on that me going into this book, one of the things I want to do is try to be a little kinder to Elaine because I feel like people aren't kind to Nesta and I'm very feral about my protection of Nesta. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that I was giving Elaine a fair shot and not just getting like swept up in fandom discourse about her. And it is very funny to be like, I just ship Elaine with a personality. (laughs) (laughs) Get where she's coming from more now when I stop to really pay attention to it. And I think what is really interesting about her potentially. And what I think is a very interesting part of her personality is that's what you said, like rebellion and 
that as is this like kind of forbidden thing, she's not allowed, quote unquote, because she has this mate and she's rebelling against that. And she's rebelling against Faye. She's not to do with anything Faye. Mm-hmm. And Azriel is also an outsider in a lot of ways, too. He's a shadow singer, which still have no answers on what that means. I think actually more thinks at one point, like, as is Intel was perfect, as it always was. And it's like, was it <laughs> more? <laughs> I don't know. I think there's like really interesting things there. I mean, there's definitely like moments of attraction between them in this. I I see it. But here's the thing. Just speaking about more. We've talked about before. More is the truth. We don't know what that means. Still no idea. This does not shed much light. But this is what she says to Feyre. She's like, do you want my advice? And this is talking about Elaine and Lucian. Stay out of it. She's not ready. And neither is he. No matter how many presents he brings. Let him live with his band of exiles. Let him deal with Tamlin in his own way. Let him figure out where he wants to be, who he wants to be. The same goes with her. Just be patient. It will sort itself out. It always does. And this is then Farah's thought after that. Another kernel of truth. So like, I don't know. More's the truth. And listen, <laughs> I don't know. At the end of the day, we are team Lucian, as we've talked about a lot. Yeah. If, and because I don't see any really other viable option for him, that makes me an Elaine and Lucian shipper just kind of by default. I always have been. I love ass too. So I get the appeal, like, mm-hmm. but I, 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 I'm trying to be as neutral as I can. And I feel like given what we are supposed to feel or know about Moore's power, I feel like we should maybe look into that statement. Yeah. That's, that's a fair point. I also like, like I mentioned, I am uh, a multi-shipper. I want everybody to make out all the time. Um, I'm definitely in the Elaine and Lucian end game camp. But, you know, I wouldn't mind if she threw down with Azrael a couple times before. That yeah, happens. get it. I'm just I mean, saying. they're both hot. Like, yeah, I want that for them. We have talked about how we love people just like lost and steam in these books. It's great. Yeah. We ap- approve of that when it's done in a healthy way. And not that mm-hmm. I'm saying I'm disapproving of Nesta, um, but I understand why she's doing that. I don't think it's the healthiest way to, to she's avoiding her problems. Yeah. Um, but if these two just want to bang it out, I would be all on board with that. So I think that's great. I love Aline's gift to as uh, headache medicine because he's always <laughs> rubbing his temples. Like, I love that. It's so funny. I also think it's a nice little hint at um, something that we'll, I think, read into a little bit more later. But Aline uh, is very observant. And mm-hmm. I don't think she gets a lot of credit for that. Yeah. I like all of her reflection on Nesta she's a little bit more like it's upsetting to her that Nesta's acting this way but she's a little more like accepting and like fair about it than Feyre is Mm -hmm. and uh I like I like that a lot so yeah no I think this is a good good Elaine book there's juicy things to look at here Um, I wanted to ask you about this though I don't like what do you read into this whole like interlude with them sitting down to eat and Cassian starts to eat and as is like, no way till everyone's sitting. And he's talking about Elaine coming, coming to the table after she like cleans up or whatever. And Reese and Farah like do their bond speaking thing. And he was like, Oh yeah, this is about how as his mom was treated. And Reese is like, it can strike at odd times. What, what'd you make of that? Um, I don't, I, I found it very confusing. Yeah. Because uh, everybody else mentions, too, that, like, Azrael has never done any, like, they've never waited on anybody to eat before. And Reese saying it strikes at odd times. I don't know. It, like, are they saying that that Elaine reminds Azrael of his mother? 
and he yeah. wants to fuck Elaine. Is he having weird mommy? Like, is this a weird Freud thing? I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like as his whole backstory with his mom, right, is that his father was a nobleman, right? And she was help. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Yes. So, I don't know. Maybe, like, he wants to be able to take care of someone. Like, he couldn't take care of his mother. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it means, but I just thought that was really interesting. I mean, Asriel clearly wants somebody to take care of, and that's why yeah. he's kind of he he has spent 500 years throwing himself at more and has spent the last almost two years or whatever throwing himself at Elaine. He <laughs> he needs somebody to take care of. He yeah. just needs somebody. I think Az is very lonely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's all really interesting. I <laughs> there's like very funny as movements though in this book where <laughs> it just made me laugh. Like Cassian tells Amran to pick on someone your own size, and As goes, I'd feel bad for the mice. And my notes always <laughs> go, As has got jokes. And that, like, he snoops on what all the solstice presents are. Like, that's yeah. very funny to me. He's like, Spy Master. There's a very mature, grown up, brooding, quiet man that, like, wants to know what everybody got for, yeah. for solstice. It's also very funny to me that um, Moore is just bad at giving presents. And I like that through joke uh, mm-hmm. throughout this book. I think it's very funny. So that was great. Oh, I and also I, wanted to shout out Cassian calling Reese little Reese throughout this book was, was hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, I also like this moment too, from our boy Lucian. He's only in one <laughs> yes. scene. It's great. And he talks about his little band of exiles, which I like. And he definitely has an admiration of Vasa, which I definitely think we should keep an eye on going forward. But I also think so does Jurian. So who knows what's happening in that manor house? Three way. Three kids. <laughs> I'm always gonna I'm always gonna jump for three. So. I know. Everybody make out. Yeah. But uh you have this noted here too. This great moment from Lucian. Oh yeah. He says you can be as much of an asshole as that mate of yours, you know that? And I just have keeping it real as usual, Lucian. Love you, babe. I mean, it's true. I love that whole conversation they have because, you know, really he's, he's looking at Farrah and just being like, you know, maybe just fucking back off a little bit. And she hear that. Yeah. What I love about the Lucian and Farrah friendship is that she really drops like all pretenses with him. And it's mm-hmm. fun. I like when mm-hmm. Farrah is an asshole. I like when yeah. she's not just this is like meek little like, oh, like oh, is everyone okay and happy? Like, no, yeah. be an asshole, throw it down, spar. It's really fun. It, that's also part of why it was such a joy to watch her and Reese fall in love because that's how she was with him too. Like yeah. she was she poked back at him. And I like that side of Farah. Yeah, me too. I have I have this in my notes too that I I think just like being that self-flagellating saint all the time is probably the least interesting personality that a, a character can have. I'm just yeah. not drawn to it in any way. So when she does kind of like take the gloves off a little bit, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. And no, I'm here right. for Lucian giving her shit back too. Like they right. have a very good back and forth between them. Yes. Our snarky, snarky boy. Mm-hmm. I love him. And I would just like to point out again, because people are always like, oh, Lucian is just, he's all over a lane. Like, he just won't leave her. I mean, come on. Absolutely So not. respectful. <laughs> he avoids her as much as she's yeah, avoiding him. Like, he doesn't even want to be, he, I think he says in this book, I don't want to be, I can't stand being in the same room as her for longer than a couple minutes. Yeah. And I just, I think a lot too about how Tamlin, you know, that scene, he 
had just had sent all of his clothes out of the manor. Like he's just being rejected on every front and he's just trying to avoid all of that. And, you know, I appreciate that. Who wants that? It would be yeah. so hard to keep coming around to meet all the time. And he brings her a gift and she's not really into it. And that's fine. But I'm so glad he wasn't there to watch her open that and I like know. reject it. I know. It makes me really sad. But again, I think our number one thing, we have our thoughts on where the ships are going, but we just want Lucian to be happy. <laughs> That's yeah. all I want. That's all I want. Make Lucian happy and get him laid 2021. Yes, please. <laughs> Let's talk briefly about Amron. <laughs> this is another thing that's like, Sarah, this is weird. It's weird. She doesn't know how to pee. Oh, okay. my God. She doesn't know how to pee. I don't understand how being thousands and thousands, like, like what is she, like 15,000 years old? And she's never figured out the peeing thing. Um, she never had to pee, first of all, when she was in the high fae. I mean, she's stuck in the high fae body now, but she was like in the form of a high fae body before. She drank blood. She, you know. Where did it go? She absorbed nutrients. So where, <laughs> where did her waste go? What? I don't know. It's weird. It's also weird, Pharaoh walking into her apartment and being like, it smells interesting in here. And Amron's just like, that's ah, from all the boning. Like, <laughs> why are you guys like this? I mean, I'm very into her and Varian, but yeah, I don't know. I love everyone like giving her jewels though. And she's just like, yes, excellent. Thank you, Shadow Singer. <laughs> she's like a dragon. <laughs> Queen Shadow. <Jedi>, love it. <laughs> yeah, so that part was weird. But other than that, you know, fun. I, th- there are very fun moments here, and we'll talk about some of them in our uh, superlative section here. Like the friendship stuff is still great. I love mm-hmm. all of that. It's just, little snowball fights. Yeah, I like that. So I guess then we should go into our superlatives, and we'll do a brief spoiler section afterwards. Because uh, we're nearing the end here. Not lo- much left to spoil, but we do have some thoughts uh, leading into Court of Silver Flames. So let's start with favorite quote. So my favorite part of the whole book is... Farah and Cassian getting drunk and trying to put up the solstice decorations and Asgarian have to fix it. <laughs> and just like this quote, it's just so funny. Asriel straightened a sagging section of garland over the windowsill. It's almost like you two tried to make it as ugly as possible. I just, the whole thing is very funny to me. And like more coming in it's- and being like, Cassie and Farrah, what the <laughs> instantly, hell? Instantly, she knows exactly who is responsible for making it that ugly. It's, it's very cute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cassian had named about two dozen poses for Nesta at this point, ranging from I will eat your eyes for breakfast to I don't want Cassian to know I'm reading smut. The latter was his particular favorite. It's love it. Very sweet. Very charming. It very, it's very charming. He just knows her so well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just took oh out. I'm not going to like do well when we do Silver Flames. I, I, I don't think I much. am either. Okay. Dangerous words resand, Amran warned, strutting through the door, nearly swallowed up by the enormous white fur coat she wore. Only her tin-length dark hair and solid eyes were visible above the collar. She looked, you look like an angry snowball, Cassian. (laughs) (laughs) Honey. Again, just Cassian. Just always. The best best of all boys. I love him. Favorite character. We're not going to do arc this week because it doesn't exist really for anyone Mm -hmm. in this book. Uh, My favorite character of this book is Cassian. Yeah, same. Oh. Easy. (laughs) Was there ever a doubt? (laughs) All right. Favorite swoon. I will never stop being grateful to have you in my life either, Farrah darling. And no matter what lies ahead, a small joyous smile at that. We will face it together. Enjoy every moment of it together. 
So yeah, uh, I will continue to give Reese all the shit for his behavior in this book and in the next, but um, I do still find their love story very compelling. Yeah. yeah, Very compelling. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. Um, I have a similar moment. I've always been able to talk to you. I think my heart knew you were mine long before I ever realized it. It's very Reese sweet. Again. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's um, also just brief shout out to the reveal that Reese's mom had actually made all of these dresses, these beautiful dresses that Feyre mm-hmm. has worn throughout the series. Feyre thinks in the last book too about like this mysterious tailor that Reese had. And um, it's a lovely moment where she's just like, I'm so honored to like have them. And uh, Reese is like, oh, she would have loved you. It's just, it's very sweet. It makes me mm-hmm. verklempt uh, a lot. <laughs> And also yeah. shout out to every single moment that Cassian thinks about Nesta because it's all very good. Yeah, pining hurts me, hurts me. All right, before we go, we will have a quick little spoiler section here. And um, it's going to be pretty short, I think, because again, Silver Flames is just our last book in our binge, which is very sad. But if you have not read that yet and you don't want to be spoiled, turn back now and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. All right. So, I mean, <laughs> good groundwork here from Sarah to set up the Illyrian plot and mm-hmm. the right and all of that. Yeah. And uh, also the introduction of Emery was very nice. Yeah. I liked I liked Cassian kind of instantly pegging her as, as somebody that would get along with Nesta. He thinks uh, he'd seen that fire before and the steel. He half wondered what might happen if the two of them ever met, what might come of it. And we yeah. will see that and they will be BFFs and it's very sweet. Yes. Yeah. So then so that's that that's I think like the biggest thing and it's the clearest like plotting thing and she gives the most airtime I think to like the Cassie and Nesta mm-hmm. book setup which makes it hard to kind of see where the Lucian and more books if that's what's happening where they're going to go. So that's that. I think too like knowing now what happens in Silver Flames and how the whole pregnancy storyline is used there makes me even less receptive to the whole decision in this book to have a kid at this stage. Um, I don't love particular elements of that story. Although, I mean, send me any Nick's fan art and I will like cry because I like love now that they have the kid. I like, very much like it, but I don't yeah. like some of the plot points along the way to get to that point in Silver Flame. So that makes me even less generous feeling towards that, that decision here, I guess. Yeah. So there's that. And yeah, no, there is a moment here. I, I clocked two because one of the things I said in my last episode, in the last episode in the spoiler section was, again, being so mad at ultimately Reese's choice not to tell Farah about how she's probably going to die when she has this baby. And I said, you know, your whole thing has always been like choice and letting the other person make the choice. One of the things Farah says here is that like, oh, I know Reese was, was struggling with something, but like, one of our things is we'll give each other time to like come to the other when we're ready, which is why she's like more understanding of why he is hiding something from her in that book, at least per the bonus chapter we get um, from them. So fine, like lay that groundwork if you want, Sarah. I just, it still pisses me off. Honestly, I will say though, in retrospect, I mean, maybe I'll feel differently when I read Silver Flames again. I am less upset right now at present at Reese keeping that from Farah. Like it's still really shitty 
But I do think there are some more seeds to support that than this misogynist bullshit that he's flinging at Nesta. That yeah. is making me more mad right now. But maybe they'll feel differently when I read everything yeah. he does in, in Silver Flames again. Yeah, and I think what what pissed me off so much about Reese in Silver Flames was not just like him holding that thing back from Farah, but blaming Nesta for it. Yeah. Like when Nesta yeah. revealed his his withholding information, um, he like wanted to kill her. And dude, that's absolutely your fucking fault that you didn't tell her. Like, sorry, you got ratted out, but fuck you. That's not Nesta's fault. I yeah. mean, Nesta did, Nesta did the right thing in that moment. And that's just, that's a hill I'm going to die on. I'm also, in retrospect, it's just kind of annoying in this book how supportive Amran is of Nesta when in the next book, she's a big old bitch to her because they have some falling out and uh, Amran's just a real dick about it. Yes. Yeah. No, she is. And I don't like that element of it either. And then I guess just from a shipping perspective, we've talked a lot about the infamous as bonus chapter of Silver Flames. And I really do think for when you add Gwen into the mix, it's for me a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think was kind of interesting to look back at all this, because clearly there's like sexual attraction between Elaine and as in that chapter. But I was trying to read all of these moments bef- in the book's before that leading up to that interaction with them. And I do think as really likes her, but I do think it's kind of intentional for Sarah to kind of draw the, the distinction between how his, his eyes feel with heat when he looks at more, but he looks at Elaine with like pity and sorrow at how she's feeling. So I think, you know, uh, silver flames is like a year after, um, and the as bonus chapter is actually the following winter solstice. So we're a year away from that. So I do think things change. I think they have a year to kind of be near each other, but I do think there is a lot of, yes, there is attraction, but I think when you look at a lot of these things, it definitely points to some of the things we talked about, the caretaking, the, the, the just wanting someone feel feeling compassion for her and what she's going through. So I, again, I'm, I love the idea of him and Gwen. So I, I'm, I'm colored in my responses mm-hmm. to things, but I think that that's just how I read it too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same. I mean, she's, yeah, she's definitely like thirsting after him in this book, but like he's thirsting after more. So it's Who kind of blame her. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's also like a running fandom joke is that everybody wants Azriel, like everybody. I mean, listen, like, bitch, same. He's hot. And the brooding mystery thing is very interesting to me. You know, at some point, I feel like Asriel could have had all three of the Archeron sisters. He could have. Couldn't he? Couldn't he? <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah. The, this is a book. <laughs> you know i like reread it every time i like finish act or because i'm sad and i want more and i always mm-hmm. think maybe i'm gonna like it more and i never do Although, like i said there are good moments i'm maybe all this will be the last time i read it though because yeah. i just i don't i don't care much for it so oh well this is my first time reading it and i, I was not a fan yeah no it's it's disappointing it, it feels like a betrayal like don't make me dislike somebody that I love so much. And I do, I love Reese so much. Don't, why are you doing this to me? Yeah. It's, I don't think, and I've talked about this before here. I just don't think she's the most intentional writer in that way. I don't think she thinks 
how is the fandom going to react to Reese doing this? It's Mm -hmm. what do I need Reese to do for plot reasons? And I also, what I don't like about it and it's frustrating to me is because I can't remember if I've said this in the last episode or if I just been talking with you, the idea that Sarah almost feels the need to knock Nesta down in the eyes of everyone in the story and therefore the fandom to make her journey a rewarding one where it doesn't need to be that. She doesn't need a redemption arc. So I, I, yeah, we did talk about this. I think off air is that she, she really, like you said, knocks Nesta down so that we feel like she needs a redemption arc so that silver flames can be a redemption arc. It doesn't need to be a redemption arc. I, and I do think it is a very powerful emotional reckoning that she goes mm-hmm. through in that book and an emotional, emotional journey that she goes through in that book. But yeah, she doesn't need anyone's forgiveness. Yeah. And that, that part of the emotional journey is just as, just as rewarding as, as, you know, it didn't need the redemption arc element to it. Like she didn't yeah. need these people and the fandom to forgive her. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I go into that book and I'm able to put up blinders, at least onto that part of it because I think mm-hmm. she does nail the Sarah nails the emotional aspects of that journey but she obviously I think in this book was trying to be like oh yeah like I'm really gonna fuck Nesta over and wait until then I pull this trick on the audience and it feels cheap in a way that it makes me um question how much she likes her own characters like mm-hmm. what are you doing not just Nesta but how much you like Reese how much you like yeah. Any of these people. Or know. how much you really actually understand your own characters. Right. Well, yes. And like, so this, like I said, this was my first time reading this book. And, but I had, I, I knew a bunch of like the plot movements or like the, the things that happened in it just from fandom, you mm-hmm. know, being fandom adjacent. Uh, so I knew that Cassian had given Nesta a solstice gift and I knew that it had ended, ended up being chucked into the river. But I always assumed because of the fandom's reaction to it and because of the way that they talked about this moment that Nesta had thrown that gift Mm. in the river herself because that's how enraged the fandom was at her for that present being thrown into the river. She wasn't the one that did it. Cassian did it. And just, just there you have right there in a nutshell why doing like damaging your character in this way to the point where other people will literally think that this was her fault and it wasn't yeah. like she just did not accept a present. She's not obligated to accept presents from any person, you know, and she didn't just the way that the, the fandom reacted to that. I yeah. I literally thought that she had thrown his present in the river and I was like, okay, well I get that. That's fucked up, but she didn't do that. I so know. I know we can't give Elaine credit for being like, Hey, uh, his giving me a gift does not entitle him to my affections. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, turn around and be like, fuck you, Nessa. You didn't take Cassian's gift. Yeah. The payoff of that is, oh God, I'm just going to start crying thinking about the where they're at next solstice. <laughs> it makes me want to cry. I read the solstice chapter of Silver Flame so much uh, because the payoff of all of that, and we do find out what the, the gift was. It's one of the earliest books. It's very tiny and it's in the river. Uh, that's on Cassian for throwing that away, though. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, you know, I totally agree. I'm very glad that a lot of people have come around on Nesta after Silver Flames, but it makes me, it still will just forever make me sad that people, and Sarah, it seems, seem to think mm-hmm. that she needed that book in order to be worthy of that respect and love from the fandom. And 
And that she needed to hate herself as deeply as she does in Silver Flames before she like earns Cassian's love because that's a whole plot point is like, she's, I'm not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of you. And I appreciate that as like part of her character and her, her self-loathing and everything. But I think part of why Sarah did that was to show Nesta groveling so that we, you know, the fandom at large would accept her. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, well, so good book. Mm -hmm. Oh no no! I love right, I love Silver Flames. Silver Flames is my favorite in in this series. So yeah, it's so good. I can't wait to read it again, even though it's a chonky boy. Oh my god! I know I picked it off my shelf yesterday last night to like get ready to start it again. I'm like fucking seven hundred and forty pages. Woo! So anyway, friends, <laughs> get ready to join us next week for the last week in our massive summer binge when we cover a Court of Silver Flames. Very excited about it. Can't wait for you all to to join us for that. But until then, Tasia, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ragey Cakes. You can find me on Instagram at Rin underscore Reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Act Your Age. You can also shoot us an email if you'd like at ActYourAgePod at gmail.com. And if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, we would greatly, greatly appreciate that. It would help us get up higher in the search results. Uh, which would be great to help us reach more people. Uh, so we would really, we would love that. We know that there are more than just our friends listening to this podcast. We can see <laughs> where you are. In we the know world. you're out there. Yeah, we know. We know how many people are downloading and listening to this. And we just, we'd be very interested to see what your thoughts are and how you found us. So shoot us an email, rate and review us. It'd be great. It'd be great to connect. Other than that, I guess we will see y'all next week for the end of the binge. Womp womp. Oh, I know. I'm sad. <laughs> Throw in a glass next. Throw in a glass next. Throw in a glass next. Massive winter binge. I wouldn't hate it. Just saying. <laughs> All right, everyone. See you soon. Bye. Hey, bye. Bye.